Good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and uh, it is it is a delight to be able to be uh, to be with you this morning. Um, before we get into our stuff this morning, I don't know uh, about you, but sometimes when we sing, and sometimes the the songs kind of stir us in a in a unique way. Um, you know, uh, this morning in in the song "So Will I," there's a line about you know a uh, hundred. I think it's a hundred million failures disappear. Um, and then the song that followed Inside Out has the line, I know I still make mistakes, uh, but you have new mercies for me every day and your love never fails. Uh, it's interesting to be running slides and making mistakes while those two songs are playing um, and just to be able to receive uh, God's kindness in the midst of, of, of those moments. And so uh, just a word of encouragement if you're feeling like there are things going on in your life where you're just swinging and missing um, that uh, that Jesus is in there. Uh, Jesus is with you. Uh, so uh, with that, let's pray uh, and then we'll, we'll get going. Uh, dear God, I give you a great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives um, that um, we can know and trust that you are in each moment. Um, Lord, the ones where you feel distant and we're searching uh, and the ones where we feel near you and, and feel like we can really sense and know you. Um, yeah, I'm just glad that you're close. Um, yeah, I give you thanks uh, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're starting a new sermon series today. And before we do that, I just want to give you a quick uh, idea of where we've been because it actually builds into um, uh, what we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks. We came out of the book of Hebrews, um, this letter that was written, and uh, we, <coughs> we realized that, that when we read through Hebrews that God speaks, right? And, and, in, and it's all over in there that God speaks. And so um, we, we entitled the series Hearing God Today because uh, there's this very specific uh, warning and invitation that takes place in the book of Hebrews. It says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. And so that's where we arrived at that, um, that, that title for that series, Hearing God Today. Um, and this new series that we're going into is in uh, the book of John. Um, and I'm going to get to more of that in a second. Um, what I need you to do for a moment, though, and this is going to require some participation on your part, especially from the people who are on the, on the chat, the on-live chat. I'm going to ask you to put some responses in there. Um, one of my uh, favorite bands is a band called U2, uh, and they have a song called The Miracle of Joey Ramone, and I'm going to read you a couple lines from that song, and then I'm going to explain to you what it's about and what I would like you to do. Um, just this in the whole song, just a couple of lines. I was shaking from a storm in me, haunted by the specters that we had to see. Yeah, I wanted to be the melody above the noise, above the hurt. I was young, not dumb, just wishing to be blinded by you, brand new, and we were pilgrims on our way. I woke up at the moment when the miracle occurred, heard a song that made some sense out of the world. Everything I ever lost now has been returned in the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. Um, this is a, a song about um, when Bono, the lead singer of, of U2, first heard the Ramones, this band, this punk band. Um, and 
for him, a whole new world opened up, right? You can, you can hear it in his lyrics. There was a storm that was brewing inside of him, and, and he was chasing after this dream, and he wanted to get it before it disappeared. And this music, it says, made some sense out of the world and sort of tied some things together and helped him move in a way that, that would lead him into a career where he is uh, trying to do the same. Um, and, and so what I want to ask you is, um, if you could type this into the chat, if there has been a song or a book or a movie or a moment or something that you remember that really opened up new things for you. It could be from the Bible. It doesn't have to be. Um, but I'm just curious for some of you to, to type those things in. And so as I'm going along, if, if one of those comes to you, please uh, feel free to type that in. But it's just a way to get some, uh, some kind of new ideas and stuff going in our minds as we head into um, what we're talking about. And it'll, it'll make more sense too. Um, the this new sermon series is called Believe and Live. Um, and it's, it's a tour through the gospel of John. And um, when we start these books out, we like to kind of explore any overarching themes or any kind of uh, information, specific things that we need to know about the author or anything like that. And so I have a couple of things. Um, first up, this guy, Leon Morris, uh, he says that uh, John's gospel is like a pool in which a child can wade and an elephant can swim. It is both simple and profound. And then uh, Sir Edwin Hoskins says a person would not be true to the book if at the end of the gospel, if at the end the gospel does not still remain strange, restless, and unfamiliar. And so there's gonna be this sense with this book. There's some poetry in it. There's some moments where timing really doesn't make sense. There's, there's two back-to-back stories where John mentions something that happens in the future in terms of the, the order of the book like it happened in the past, uh, and, and it can be really confusing, but, but John's not really as concerned about some of those things. And so there's something else John is trying to do, and so we're gonna be exploring uh, that. I wanna give you a quick intro uh, to who John was. Uh, John was one of the apostles, one of the people who were closest to Jesus, uh, and he uh, died in 100 AD. Uh, most scholars think that his gospel was written uh, somewhere between 75 and 85 um, AD, which means it's sort of, if you were running a race, if, the, if each of the gospels was a runner in the race, John finishes last, right? He, uh, you know, it just was later in the game. Um, now, uh, lots of times when there's a gospel, there'll be a main theme or sort of something throughout it that kind of defines like, well, what was this author going for? What was this author? Was there a moment or something that, that moved them to write this? Was there a certain bent they had? Um, and John makes it really easy for us. Towards the end of, of his gospel in John 20, 31, he says, but these are written, meaning these things in this, in this letter, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so it's sole purpose, according to John, for writing this is so that people may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing they would have life. And so this is where we sort of pulled our title, Believe and Live, that you, me, our neighbors, coworkers, classmates, teachers, families, friends, enemies, black, white, brown-skinned, rich, poor, young, old, everyone, would believe and live. And that that's John's 
message. That's what John wants to communicate. And so I'm hopeful that as we go through this, we will hear that and we will see that because there's a believe, which is kind of an inward part, and there's a live, which is an outward part. And so it's our expectation as we dive into this that God is going to invite us to explore new beliefs, new inward things, and live out some new experiences, some outward things. And so uh, hopefully that is something we'll experience. So let's get right to it. We're going to look at John 1, 1 through 18 uh, today. And so you can, uh, if you have your Bible, you can open up and read there. You can use the tab on the online platform uh, and open it up there, or you can just follow the screen as I read. The, the words will be up there. So this is John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He comes as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This opening section, 1 through 18, is uh, considered to be a prologue or sort of a separate introductory section to the book. One scholar referred to it as the foyer to the rest of the book and that it is simultaneously drawing the reader in and introducing the major themes of the book. It basically is a poem that runs through the whole gospel and we can find parts of this prologue words and sentences that are sort of sprinkled and spread throughout the rest of the gospel what i want to focus on this morning is what or who is this word and what does that word have to do with our lives today in the here and now john starts off with a very familiar phrase at least familiar to his audience that phrase is in the beginning now, his audience would have had a very specific response to this. Much like if I just said to someone, may the force, and then lots of people, young, old, all kinds of people would say, be with you, right? Because that's a, something from our culture that uh, is, is popular and, and well-known. This, this phrase, in the beginning, would be even more well-known than that. Uh, so well-known that every uh, Jewish person who would have been hearing this would have been taught 
that phrase, from the day they were born up until the day they died. And many of John's audience would have been familiar with this phrase, and they would have finished it differently than John did. They would have finished it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, versus John's, in the beginning was the word. And there's two things that this opening would do for those original readers. If you were of Jewish descent, you would want to finish it, right? God created the heavens and the earth. But it would also be made more compelling when you read it. Because there's an invitation to to, to be drawn into something different. When you hear something, you go, wait, 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 what? There's one response that could be like, oh, no, it's immediately wrong, but the way this is written, the poetry in it, because that was a very familiar form of, liter- uh, form of literature to uh, Israel. They would respond to that in a unique way. The other thing that this opening does, however, is it gives a different perspective and it highlights something different than the rest of the Gospels and how it opens. John's not trying to be better or show some error in the other Gospels, but to elaborate and to add some theology about Jesus at the time. Mark starts his Gospel out with John the, baptized, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus as an adult. Luke starts a short time before John the Baptist uh, and Jesus were conceived, and then through conversations with Mary and an angel about her becoming pregnant with the Son of God and then Jesus' birth. Matthew starts with this genealogy going all the way back to Abraham whose family would be a blessing to the nations. And John starts his gospel way back before creation. In the beginning was the word. The word already was before creation was. Why is that important? I think if we look into what the word is, that will help. Uh, When we read about the word just in our regular dictionary, we read that it's a single distinct meaningful element of speech or writing used with others or sometimes alone to form a sentence and typically shown with a space on either side when written or printed. Okay, that's great. Uh, But it's often also a form of self-expression. It's a way we communicate something. Uh, And in the Old Testament, um, God's word typically shows up in three ways. Shows up in creation, shows up in uh, revelation, and it shows up in salvation. And so I have a couple examples of that. The first one, uh, there's two for the creation one, and this is Genesis 1-3, and God said, there's the word part, let there be light, and there was light. And Psalm 33-6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Shows up in Revelation in Ezekiel 33, 7. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Right? Ezekiel was to take what he heard from God and deliver it to Israel. It was revealing truth about God. And then the last one is salvation. This is Psalm 107, 20. And it says, he sent out his word and healed them rescued them from the grave, sent out his word, and the word healed and rescued. And all these things, it's also always seen as a form of self-expression. That when God puts the word into action, it's not just accomplishing things, but it's revealing and showing something about God. And John wants to take these realities and explore them. In the beginning was the Word. There was never a time when the Word did not exist. The Word is eternal. The Word was with God. 
Now, the word with there translates better as toward. The word is toward God. And what it means is there's no discord between God and the word. They're equal. And the word was God, so they're equal. Um, And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. All things owe their existence to the word because the word is life. And the word's presence evokes and establishes life. Life in birth, creation, awakening, revelation, salvation, restoration, reconciliation, all of these things are life. Well, so then, is this word just a word? Is it something that God spoke that we can hear? What is it? Or who is it? Because if we jump down to to verse 14, we read the following. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John, what John is simply saying is that the word is a person, that that word is Jesus. Jesus became flesh. Jesus made his dwelling among us. Jesus was born a human being. And with all that comes along with that, he struggled through all the human struggles and ultimately died a human death. John takes the word from the Old Testament, this expression of God's person and the living out of his will and says the way we best see that now is Jesus. Some of this is gonna stir up some things for us too because we just came out of that series in Hebrews, right? Where we read this right at the beginning. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There it is again, God speaking, a word. And this word is an eternal word. And yet it has physical substance. It's something different. Why is all of this so important? Well, it's important, one, because it's uh, what I have written in my notes is absolutely, phenomenally, mind-blowingly cool. This is a mystery This is depth and creativity beyond what we can explain, and yet we get to live it and live in it. We get to experience these realities in our lives because we experience beginnings all the time. Right? Jesus is in the beginning, and therefore Jesus is in each of our beginnings. And whether that was us being conceived being born, being named, learning to eat, speak, crawl, walk. The first time we were told by someone they were proud of us, first time uh, we felt good about ourselves, maybe our first nervous moment, maybe graduating, or maybe not graduating, and maybe not getting to experience graduation in the same way, maybe getting a job, Maybe going to college, not going to college. Maybe getting married, maybe losing a job, being single, having kids, adopting kids, not having kids, sending your kids to college, retiring, going for walks, having loved ones pass away, dealing with a pandemic, 
and so much more. Because every moment is a beginning. And Jesus is present in every single one of those. Jesus is with us. And maybe it's a moment that has been the hardest moment you've ever had to deal with. And maybe it is the most glorious, easy moment. But Jesus is in every one because every one brings something new. And Jesus, because Jesus was in the beginning, is in all beginnings. always trying to start and continue new good things in and through us. And the main thing that Jesus is doing in that is reconciling, is bringing good out of everything. But a lot of us are tired. A lot of us are weary. A lot of us are frustrated. What do we do in those moments? A lot of us are bored. We're tired of even new things because it seems like the new things are just things we keep repeating over and over right now. I watched a video clip of this guy. I tried to find it, but I couldn't. Uh, And he was in his uh, early 60s, and he spent at least an hour a day, if not more, setting up and navigating, navigating all kinds of physical obstacles. He'd make these little obstacle courses, uh, everything from slacklining and balance skills to a hacky sack, dribbling a basketball, anything he could think of and would just keep rotating through things. He'd see something new, boom, he'd get it and he'd try it. And when asked why, he said, it keeps me sharp. I'm always learning. I'm always trying something new. And when you listen to this person, they were really energetic, but not kind of like, ah, kind of frenetic energy. He had clarity and a crispness that was almost palpable, like you could, you could feel it. Most of us, and I'm finding this for myself, as I get older, I stop doing new things. I need to be watching my kids because they're always trying new things. Um, Angie, uh, my wife Angie, uh, had a conversation with our daughters a couple years ago. Um, uh, As you know, I ride a motorcycle and Angie got her motorcycle endorsement. And she talked to our girls about it because it was really, really new for her. And it was hard to be doing something new. And it wasn't something that was like, um, like uh, if there's a hobby we have, you know, uh, say you uh, take my life for example I, have a, I practice martial arts right? so I can learn a new kick but most of the mechanics and all that stuff I kind of know a lot about kicks and so even if it's new if I haven't done it before there's still a lot that I have to, to help me get ahead there but we don't often try things that are really brand new like really completely different than what we normally do Um, and so we stop doing new things we're bored with beginnings we're scared of beginnings they're hard and they don't match my expectations very well one of the things I've been so excited about is hearing friends of mine who are adults who are starting for the first time to, to play a musical instrument when they never have before that's awesome right that's trying something new because I don't know about you but if I've I've 
tried to play musical instruments and I go into it with this expectation that I'm going to pick this instrument up and really quickly I'm going to be able to play along with my favorite bands. The, the level of disappointment I feel when <laughs> I'm not there um, is, is, is real. And so um, continuing through with that and playing that and going through those practices of, of doing things new and practicing the basics in the midst of that right, are really important. But again, we often get bored with these. I don't want to do those things. Uh, those are old. Right? And so lots of those things with our faith come into play. Reading the Bible, praying, going to church, because those things don't scratch the itch like they used to. Prayer times seem empty. Reading the Bible is, feels like the best way to go to sleep. Going to church feels like a hassle. Sharing, giving, caring, these things all start to feel really hard. And so we move away from those things. And, and, and those are beginning moments too. But we move in some different directions. But the reality is that Jesus is there in each of those moments inviting us, guiding us, sometimes spurring us to good and reconciliation. I have a couple of examples that I want to share about um, some moments in history that were beginnings um, and, and just at an interesting time and, and to see how they might stir some things in us. The first one is uh, after World War I, um, U.S. President uh, Woodrow Wilson and uh, French uh, Premier, uh, I'm going to really try to get this name, uh, George Clemenceau. Um, these two gentlemen um, were in many, many meetings. And uh, Woodrow Wilson was determined to establish this thing that would later be called the League of Nations in the hopes of uniting the nations of the world and establishing peace. That was his stated goal in that. And so he wanted more to focus on rebuilding Germany um, uh, after the war than further punishing them. France, on the other hand, had been decimated in the war. And so uh, Clemenceau wanted Germany to experience some further consequences to what they had done. And the two went back and forth and back and forth with neither one budging. And then after a while, Woodrow Wilson got sick with all the symptoms uh, that would indicate that it was the flu in 1918, the Spanish flu, right? It's right around that time. And he eventually recovered, but many of his closest colleagues said that he was never the same, that he lost his fire and his determination and so they say he ended up giving in to Clemenceau and the final treaty uh, called for everything that Clemenceau had asked for. Harsh reparations on Germany, a huge reduction in its military and a loss of a bunch of territory. Um, one German foreign minister put it this way, they could have expressed the whole thing more simply in one clause. Germany renounces its existence. Now there are many historians that say this treaty the Treaty of Versailles, which was harsh on Germany, pretty much forced them into uh, depression, that it humiliated the German people by blaming them for the war, and that this treaty would sort of create this foundation for the rise of Nazism. 
beginnings, right? Things that happened, events, moments where people made choices. Everyone was in beginnings. Another example that took place during World War I um, time uh, happened in India. India at the time was a British colony, and so about a million Indian soldiers were fighting in the war. And this ship with some of these soldiers uh, on it docks in uh, port city of Bombay for about 48 hours. And then a police officer gets sick with the Spanish flu, and then dock workers get sick, and the disease starts to spread. Also during this time, there's a man going from city to city on trains giving speeches. He's a lawyer, an activist, and a big proponent at the time of non-violent resistance. And his name is Mohandas Gandhi. And during this time, he's recruiting people, though, to fight with the British in the war because he had this idea that if India fought in the war and fought well, they would gain more autonomy. One of the things he said, this is a quote, we are regarded as a cowardly people. If we want to become free from that reproach, we should learn the use of arms. And so for Gandhi, it was a show of strength and a bargaining chip. We'll be rewarded for our strength. But then he gets sick. And he's on his back and he's so sick that he can't even talk at times. And at one point, he communicated to someone who wrote the letter for him, to a friend, dear Mr. Henderson, I'm on my back, I'm passing through the severest illness of my life and I was incapable of sending you a letter earlier. He says, I almost have to crawl to reach the lavatory and I have such gripping pain that I feel like screaming. I longed to die and be free from it all. And this goes on for about five months, approximately from August of 1918 to somewhere around January of the next year, which lines up exactly with the time of the second wave of the flu in India. And so the exact time that Gandhi is on his back, so was India. The sanitary commissioner uh, at the time says, the hospitals were choked so that it was impossible to remove the dead quickly enough to make room for the dying. The streets and lanes of cities were littered with dead and dying people. One statistic says in the U.S. we had about a half a million people that died from the flu. In India, it was somewhere between 10 and 20 million that died in just those months. And someone in researching this started reading through some of Gandhi's letters from this time because he shifts from this moment of, uh, of writing these long passages about politics and, and recruiting to help in the war to this different kind of soul-searching Around October or so, about two months into his illness, he's so sick that he thinks he's going to die. And he writes, uh, Dear Haralal, I have a feeling that I'm now going. I have very little time left. The body is becoming weaker and weaker. But the inheritance of character which I'm leaving to you is invaluable in my view. I wish you to cherish it. Follow the path of religion. The more I contemplate this illness, the more deeply I realize what love of man to man must be and therefore love of God to man. He says, God is love. He says, one need not assume that heroism is to be acquired only by fighting in war. One can do so even while keeping out of it. War is one powerful means among many others, but if it is a powerful means, it is also an evil one. And he finally says, we can cultivate manliness in a blameless way. Beginnings, changes, moments, 
Jesus is present in each one of those. And we can see how different people responded to different things. And those, these things open up doors for us too. These are just two examples of different moments, different beginnings for people and how they responded and the impacts of those. And as we continue to engage with the gospel of John, we're gonna find people in beginnings. And we're gonna find Jesus present there with them. Their beginnings of new questions, of new ideas. Their beginnings with even meeting Jesus. Their beginnings with their culture. Their beginnings because they are living and beginnings for one because they're dead. What I want us to think about today in all this is the reality that Jesus is in all these beginnings. Because in the beginning was the word. Jesus was in the beginning that started all other beginnings and Jesus is eager to meet us in those spaces. Each and every moment, eager to celebrate with us, mourn with us, experience with us, lead and guide us, get into it with us, sit and be still with us, get angry with us, flip tables with us, love and care with us. And that our actions can and will shape history. Everything we do from our getting up in the morning to our interactions with people or our non-interactions with people and our going to bed or our not going to bed all impact and shape history. So what do we do with that? Well, we get ready to close for now and sing a song um, to close. I'm going uh, to ask a few questions and then I'm going to pray. Brian's going to play instrumentally for a moment to give you some time to think through uh, the questions. Um, you can respond in the chat or you can respond on the online connection card or you can just take them and work through these in your own time just sitting and reflecting um, and then we'll close with a song. And I, I have to apologize because I kind of cheated on my questions. Usually we try to have three, but I have one question that's got like seven follow-ups and I counted that as one. So there's really a lot of questions, but you'll, you'll see what I mean. So the first question is, what beginnings are you in right now? And then the following in that, under that number one are just ways to help you figure that out. So what is new? What is boring? Where are you moving? Where are you stuck? What is working? What isn't working? What is easy? What is hard? Where do you feel pain? Where do you feel shalom? That all is as it should be well or right okay and so so just where are you at what do you notice happening in your life have you even been paying attention if not start okay second how or have you sensed jesus presence in these beginnings and if so how um what have you seen what have you heard what 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 things demonstrate that jesus is present with you in those beginnings and then third what have you sensed jesus doing in that space So again, what have you heard? What have you sensed? What direction do you feel uh, Jesus might be leading you? And then a a good follow-up would be, what what are you gonna do with that? What's the action? Because this is believe and live. So we're trying to identify ways to move uh, in these things. And so um, let me pray, uh, and then uh, Brian will play instrumentally for a second, and he'll give you a moment to reflect on those, uh, and then we'll close, close with a song. God, again, I give you, Great thanks uh, that we are not alone. Uh, Lord, I pray during these times where we explore with you, with the people of Scripture, um, what it means to find you in every beginning. Um, 
Lord, I pray you would lead and guide us. I pray we would be open to new realities that would take us to new places where we would find truth, reconciliation, wholeness, healing, life. Yeah. Yeah, I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.